Hey, uh, Zach's name was almost Malcolm, so it's okay. Call him Malcolm from now. No, we love Zach. We love Zach. Glad to be here with you today. Um, honestly, uh, I'm terrible at picking topics to speak on. I'm like a soldier. I like to be told, hey, talk about this. And uh, chap didn't do that with me. So, you know, it feels like when you pick a topic, you're, you kind of come up and you say, like, I picked this topic because I'm an expert in this topic. And uh, I am not an expert in any of these fields, right? Thankfully, we have a lot of experts here on the mountain that are teaching you all day to day. Praise God for their diligence and hard work and study so that they could become experts in their field. But you may have the impression uh, that pastors and teachers and professors and church leaders got the stuff that they have to give to you through that kind of hard work and hard study and diligence. And that's certainly part of it. But if you think that was most of it, you'd be wrong. I have multiple degrees, including a seminary degree. I've sort of proven myself, like many of you are now, in the, in the, in the intellectual world. But I've never felt dumber in my life than in the last few years. I've never felt dumber in my life than being a dad, a husband, and a pastor. And you know, I mean, I'm sure many of you have looked at your family at one point or another, and you looked at your parents and you thought, these people have no idea what they're doing. (laughs) I'm just one of those. Okay, I'm one of those, and I've been asked to come and talk with you. You know, we, we read the books, we go to the seminars, we do the personality inventories. You get all ready for something, and then you stand in the middle of it, and you're like, I'm a 10-year-old, you know? And I'm, what I'm really curious about is why that is, why, why that happens us? Why do we feel that way? And so what I want to share with you today are some thoughts about that dynamic in our lives. Just a few things that I've noticed about Christian growth and how our theology takes shape in our lives over time. And so we're going to look at this passage uh, from Mark chapter 8, beginning of verse 22, 22 through 25. It's one of my favorites because it's so weird, so strange. They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, Do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes, and then his eyes were opened. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. So Jesus and the disciples have uh, taken this voyage aboard ship, across the Sea of Galilee to the northern end, uh, to this port town of Bethsaida. It's a bustling village loaded with people, probably shoulder to shoulder, Uh, you know, wild animal, dogs running around the streets, garbage all over the place. And in the middle of this town, 
this blind man is led to Jesus by his friends. And we know nothing about him other than he likely suffered from some kind of ocular disease. We know that because he knew what people looked like and he knew what trees looked like. And so the commentaries tell us that there are only a handful of diseases that could have impacted someone like that at that time. And this was probably um, a debilitating and deforming disease. His eyes would have been encrusted and swollen and he would have been suffering greatly. And what Jesus does, and which I think is one of the most special details in a gospel story, and if you, you, you would just read it and miss it, he, he leads this man out of the village. Now, there are a lot of questions why he didn't just do it right there on the spot, but he leads this man out of the village. And if you have ever had a visually impaired friend uh, and have had to lead that friend through a space that was unfamiliar to him or her, whether it's through a city or on a path that's uneven that they're not familiar with, you know that that kind of thing takes a special bond between people. You don't just say, hey, follow my voice. You also don't just take their arm and drag them along. They might put their hands on your shoulders. You might be holding their hands behind you. You're, you're saying, hey, look out, there's a curb over here. Hey, look out, there's some kids playing. They're not watching where they're throwing the ball. Like, that's the kind of uh, process that this is. And I, often when we think about Jesus's healings, we tend to sort of resolve that they're like myths or fairy tales. And this, this situation is very real. It's a very common kind of situation. There's nothing glorious about the interaction. This would have taken gentleness, patience, and empathy on Jesus's part to lead this man through the streets as the disciples are probably clamoring and stumbling behind him to keep up. Now, this man's face was probably deformed. It was probably crusty and disgusting because of the disease that had taken over his eyes. And Jesus' hands are the hands of a carpenter who's been riding aboard a ship for a few days, maybe fishing, right? Rough, well-used, dirty hands. You know, Jesus didn't have a little satchel full of Purell and lotions and creams, you know, to, to prepare for this healing. He spits in the man's face, all right? He spits in his face, and then he takes those rough carpenter hands, and he puts them right on his eyes, and what I want you to see in this interaction is that this is a very human and intimate interaction. It, we, we might call it a very sensual kind of interaction. Who, when's the last time somebody put their hands on your face? All right, when's, the, when's the last time someone touched one of your wounds? There's something really interesting going on here. And what I want to suggest to you that the first thing you recognize here is that Christian growth, Christian healing, Christian maturity can be really gross. It can be really gross. It's important to note when Jesus calls us to faith, he doesn't call us out of our skin. He doesn't call us to not inhabit our bodies and to do something different. Our spiritual growth happens, the development of our theology and our doctrine, all that happens connected 
necessarily to these bodies. And these bodies, right, are weird, right? Our growth is connected to our hearts and our brains and our hands and our feet and every part of us. And listen, it's, it's a messy situation. And it's happening in places inhabited by people where all those same things are going on in them. Our bodies fail. Our bodies stink. Our bodies get gross. But I think what the church needs to learn sooner rather than later, particularly in the West, is to embrace it. And here's the thing that I think we need to do to embrace that. Just learn to be a human. <laughs> learn to be a human being. Now, who, my brothers in the room uh, who have discovered the cologne game, raise your hand. Come on, don't be bashful. I'm fa- Chap, I smelled you today, bro. You smell good. I couldn't bring my cologne. I, I don't think it would come through the, uh, the, air, the, the airline. I'm, I'm almost 50, man, and I, I, somebody finally introduced me. My, my good buddy was like, let me do you a favor. He bought me some cologne. I put that stuff on before I go to bed. Uh, and my wife is like, what are you putting that on for? And I'm like, I just like it. You know, I like the cologne. I like smelling good. If you're from like a majority culture or maybe more specifically a majority Western culture, we like smelling good. All right, we like being clean, crispy. But if you've ever done cross-cultural work, Maybe you've done cross-cultural work in the developing world. Maybe you have done cross-cultural work where you've been exposed to different views of personal hygiene. You ever got your hands dirty working side-by-side with other humans, just being human? Have you ever done manual labor or worked in a ditch? Ask Daniel and Zach about digging ditches. This might be the best apologetic for the mosh pit, y'all. Okay? That thing smells bad, right? You, want, you, want to be, you don't care how it smells. Honestly, I do think there, there is something there where you're like, I just want to be a human. Maybe not the most constructive expression of humanity, but there it is. Listen, what I'm trying to say is breathe it in. I smell that human, right? That's you. God created everything about us that makes those smells, and he didn't mess that up. We really like clean, neat, tidy. But we need to check on this. And I'll tell you why we need to check on this. Because neat, clean, tidy people have expectations for neat, clean, tidy spiritual growth. And spiritual growth, I'm telling you what, it's not neat and clean and tidy. And so we militate against that by just being okay with being human for just the very, very first step. Walk through cities. Walk through towns. Bump into people. Talk to people at restaurants. Hold babies. Don't be afraid to smell bad. And if somebody's like, yo, just say, that's my God-given odor, okay? (laughs) 
We want our Christianity to be shaped like a tidy little box that we can stack or file. And I'm telling you what, our, our Christian growth is more often just like a gloppy blob of growth. So don't fear the viscerality. Viscerality? I think I just made a word. Viscerality. Don't fear the viscerality of the world. Embrace it. I mean, look at what Jesus did with this man. It's all dirty and nasty, but Jesus is like this. We're going to do this. I'm not saying spit in people's face. Don't do that. But Secondly, I think growth, Christian growth and maturity is relational. So this is a weird healing for a number of reasons, right? He doesn't, he doesn't heal the guy and he's like, be healed. You know, he doesn't wave his cloak at the guy, right, or anything like that. He spits in his face, and then he puts his hands on his face, and uh, he says, do you see anything? The point is this. <laughs> Did Jesus not know? Right? Why does he ask the question? Did he not know what was happening with this man? I mean, Jesus is God's son, right? And he asked, do you see anything? And the, the response of the man, right, is like, nah, wait a second. <laughs> I see people like trees walking. So it's like, well, was Jesus successful? Does he even have the power to heal? He, he must have messed something up, woke up on the wrong side of the bed, used the wrong spell. Did he not have the power to heal? Well, Jesus, we know, has the power to create the whole universe, our planet, all life on this planet. He could certainly heal two eyeballs, right? He could have healed the brain tumor that killed my friend last year. He can heal. So what's going on with this question? Here's what I think is going on. Jesus engages the man personally. He entered his life not just through touch, not just through action, but he talked with him. He had a conversation with him. He initiated a relationship with this guy, and he's talking with him about his healing. And I want to suggest to you that what Jesus brings here is deeper fellowship to this guy. He essentially says, tell me what's going on with your healing process. Tell me how you're doing. See, Jesus, he's not the ice cream man. He's not a slot machine. He doesn't just hand out healings left and right indiscriminately. He enters into relationship with us. See, knowing about Jesus and knowing Jesus are not the same thing. But being healed by Jesus, that's how you get to know him. And no Christian, if they thought about it, would ever say, Jesus hasn't healed me. Jesus has healed you of something. So on one hand, no Christian would say, Jesus hasn't healed me. And on the other hand, no Christian would say, Jesus has healed me of everything. But what we would all say is, hey, I don't know, it's a process. It's a process. And if you can't think of anything that Jesus has healed you of, 
If you repented of your sin and received Christ, you've been healed of your lack of repentance. And that's a big step for a person. Every Christian is in the midst of a healing process as we work out our relationship with Jesus. God works in us through a relationship with Him and with others. And if you want to grow as a Christian, investment in all kinds of relationships is vital. You know that those vital relationships affect the whole shape of your Christian maturity or immaturity or growth in theology and doctrine. Okay? So Christian maturity is gross and it requires relationships. Well, you put those two things together, it's not very attractive, right? I'm not here to sell this to you. I'm just telling you what I see, okay? And third, to make things worse, <laughs> growth is gradual. So just, I want to just reflect quickly on the fact that this healing did appear to take multiple takes, right? No way around that. What I want to suggest to you is that after having lived as a Christian now for about 30 years, most of my healing, healing of my sin patterns, healing of my doubts, healing of my own immaturities in life, most of those healings have taken many, many different circumstances and relationships. Some of them miserable failures. I just finally feel like I have a glimpse of some of these things clearly in my life. I think that's really important for you all to hear at this point in your life. You're at a point in your life of rapid growth and change. But listen, there's some stuff you want to learn right now that you maybe just aren't going to learn right now. It's going, to hit, it's going to go into your head. You're going to pack your suitcase with it. That's great. But it's not going to hit your heart. And it might not hit your heart until the right person touches your life, spits in your eyes. That might be the moment that you really start to get it. Let me give you an example from my own life. I'll take the idea of God's sovereignty. I hope you all believe in God's sovereignty. I didn't grow up knowing about God's sovereignty, and as a young Christian, was never exposed to any teachings on God's sovereignty. So when I discovered God's sovereignty as a young man, married, I fell in love with it. His sovereignty in creation, his sovereignty in providence, his sovereignty in our salvation, our sanctification, our perseverance to the end, right? His singular, particular, holy, beautiful power to create and sustain all things. I love that stuff. And do it for his glory and for our good. I love that Romans 8 stuff, man. It's in here. It takes my breath away. I love it. And if you would have asked me 20 years ago, how do you feel about God's sovereignty? Do you get it? I would have said, yes, I get it. Look at me, right? <laughs> I understand God's sovereignty. But then there's that stickiness of life, the gloppiness of life. Terrible bosses and jobs, right? Diseases. People we love dying. There's those relationships with people, offenses, frustrations, disappointments. Am I a good dad? Am I a good husband? Am I a good father? Am I a good friend? And you start asking yourself, do I really get this? <laughs> it's still in there. 
The doctrine is still in there. It has a particular shape. But all this stuff is pushing on it. All the time, wherever you go. And you start to wonder. So I had a unique um, experience connected to this idea of God's sovereignty in my life and the shape it's taken in my life. I was sitting in my house on a Saturday night, finishing up my sermon, which is normal, sacred moment in the Holdridge home, PowerPoint preparation. (laughs) And uh, we get a phone call, my wife gets a phone call, somebody was shot on the street, next street over. Uh, Not highly uncommon, unfortunately, for us in our context. And I just kept working on my sermon. You know, I overheard overheard the call and Alicia says to me, because this is Alicia, aren't you going to go over there? And I said, ah, really got to work on this PowerPoint slide. (laughs) To my shame. And to her credit, she said, um, you got to go over there, (laughs) right? So I'm putting on my shoes to go out and as I'm getting my shoes on, another call comes in and she says, it was a member of our church community. Uh, so, yeah, I hustle, I run around the corner, and uh, I get there, and uh, there he is, dead, on the front porch. His mom had just got there, and as we're trying to console her and holding her, uh, she just starts screaming and praying things like this. Jesus, I know you're in charge. But what am I supposed to do? Jesus, I know you're going to take care of all this because you brought us this far. Lord, nobody understands your ways. They're higher than ours. But what are we going to do now? This remains her testimony to this day. This lady knows she's got more God's sovereignty in her little fingertip than I have in my whole body. She knows God. She knows the mysteries of God in a way that I can only hope. And what I felt in that moment in retrospect especially relative to this idea of God's sovereignty, is this. I finally feel like I see people like trees walking around. (laughs) But just that. That's it. Like I'm just starting to understand after all this time and all this training and all this learning, I'm finally starting to understand what this really means. I can't explain it to you any other way than to say my theology now has a different shape to it. Its essence is the same. It's like water. The difference between water out of a sippy cup at a hype chair with a dripling down your face or water in a canteen in the middle of the desert. It's still water and we desperately need it. So I think this is what's happening with us, okay? It's gross. It's relationally complicated. It's gradual. It takes a long time and it's overall, it's hard. Christ didn't give up on his disciples. He gently restored them and taught them how to walk in the Christian life. God did not give up. Jesus did not give up on this blind man. He didn't say, what? You can't see? You must not have enough faith. 
He hung in there with him. And the man's honesty with Jesus was an important step toward his final healing. He just said, I don't quite see yet, Lord. And I want to suggest that this is the path in some way, shape, or form that we are all on. And so you have time. That's the good news. You have time. You have time to work this stuff out. Jesus wants to work with you with all the questions and struggles and immaturities and doubts and sin patterns that you have. He'll just keep asking you, what do you see? What do you see? What do you see? And you just keep saying, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. It's okay. Just keep stumbling around a little bit, okay? All right, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are our healer. Lord, we thank you that you give us great hope. And we thank you for this miracle that has been handed down to us 2,000 years, Lord, and we still get to hear the good news of your grace and your majesty and your sovereignty over all things. So, Lord, please help us to rest in your care and your loving arms no matter what we are struggling with right now. Be with my friends, Lord. Thank you for this place and for their attention this morning. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.